Hi, I'm Brian Sullivan, and tonight a watershed for the future of live sports TV. The Phoenix Suns and Mercury cutting the court on cable. They're going back to broadcast. See how the station will join us. Look at that. Iranian forces seizing an oil tanker headed for Texas. Could 100 bucks a barrel oil be soon back on the table? New York State is about to ban gas stoves in new buildings. Why? And could your state be next? Plus, the inexplicable, mind-boggling run for one online brokerage company stock that is some asking, where's the SEC in all this? And welcome back, Deep Fake Friday. One of the people on your screen right now, one of those, is not a person at all. Can you spot the deep fake? Wait till you see the new tech that will help you do just that. And they're going to put me to the test live on TV to try to find the fakes. I'll be wrong. You can laugh. That and much more. So belly up or buckle up. Last call is up right now. Well, good evening here and good afternoon out west. We're going to get to all those stories. And that deep fake thing is going to be very cool. I have no advance notice, and I'm probably going to blow it. We'll get to that in a minute. But first up on last call on this Friday, the end appears nigh for First Republic Bank. That stock, again, in free fall after hours. And Reuters is reporting that the FDIC is preparing to place the bank under receivership imminently. Joining us now with more is CBC's Leslie Picker. First up on last call. Good to see you back. Leslie, uh, I wish it was in better circumstances. Looks like the end of the road for First Republic, at least as we know it. Yes, Brian, thank you so much. It's good to be back. And yes, the flight of capital here reportedly making a private market rescue deal for First Republic untenable at this stage. Reuters reporting that the FDIC is preparing to place First Republic into receivership imminently. That word you use, it's also the word that the report and the source familiar with the matter use. The report said that the deterioration in First Republic's position does not allow for more time to find an alternative solution through the private sector. This mirrors our David Faber reporting from earlier this morning, which said that a receivership is the most likely outcome for First Republic. The FDIC told our team that it does not comment on open and operating banks. First Republic did not respond to our request seeking comment this evening. Now, shares of First Republic plummeted after reporting earnings earlier this week, showing a flight of deposits despite that infusion of $30 billion in deposits from larger firms to shore up confidence. It's worth noting, though, that investors in the broad industry don't appear too concerned about major contagion from First Republic, with both KBWR and KBWB in the green today, although both, of course, down significantly since early March, Brian. All right, Leslie, stick around. Stay with us. So we're going to roll Leslie into a panel as well. Let's bring in our friend Kate Kelly of The New York Times, as well as analyst Gerard Cassidy of RBC Capital. Uh, Gerard, first to you, number one, your reaction to First Republic. I'm not sure this is a surprise to anybody, but Here's the more important question, I think, is that is this it for sort of the mini banking crisis? I mean, is is First Republic the last domino to fall? Uh, To that question, Brian, I absolutely believe that is the case. When you take a look at what happened here, the funding side of the equation for Silicon Valley and Signature Bank obviously was the reason for that the downfall of those two banks as all that money left when it became panicked. Now here at First Republic, as they've reported, as you said a moment ago, they reported earnings this week. They've reported they lost over $100 billion of deposits 
in uh, the first quarter of this year, most of that happening in March. So I think, in our opinion, these three banks were outliers. This is not the way normal banking is done. All three of these banks had very low percentages of consumer deposits, completely different than our mainstream banking. So I do think that these are the three outliers, mm -hmm. and I do not expect this to spread, as you pointed out. Okay, let's hope you're right. You know, Kate, listen, there's been four banks that have failed, okay? And they're all kind of somewhat similar, but also very different. Silvergate, pretty much pure crypto. Of course, you got Silicon Valley Bank, catered to venture capital, Signature Bank, which kind of got in trouble with some of the crypto. But First Republic, which, by the way, as you point out, is bigger than Silicon Valley Bank in terms of deposits, this is the most, I would say, I'm using air quotes here, normal of the banks to fail, is it not? Yeah, I mean, was bigger, right? Um, I mean, if you look at the Fed's list of the nation's largest banks by assets, uh, it had about $213 billion in assets at the end of last year versus about 195 for Silicon Valley Bank. So to me, this is a big deal. And even though it's been well telegraphed that FRB was having these troubles, it's still kind of scary. Now, who knows uh, whether this will be sort of the final act in a multi-act play, um, as we were just hearing, or there's more to come. I mean, I couldn't possibly speculate. But it strikes me that FRB sort of bumped along in recent weeks, despite the outflows that were just astonishingly large, despite an attempt to stabilize it by these other larger banks. And it's failing anyway, yeah. um, we think. And that, <laughs> so, well, that's, uh, Kate, I think, as usual, you, you nailed it. I'm sorry to start a step on you there. Uh, Leslie, I think Kate just laid it out. I mean, let's not forget, OK, if our viewers and listeners who have not been following this story that closely, First Republic, basically, number one, sort of got that implicit government guarantee about a month or whatever it was ago on that Sunday when we did the special. But then also Jamie Dimon and others were like, OK, we're going to put a bunch of money into First Republic and shore it up. Mm -hmm. Nothing worked. The bank is basically going into right. receivership, which is sort of a almost a fancy banking term for bankruptcy. Yeah, I mean, even at the time that they put that $30 billion in deposits, and the whole purpose behind that uh, was in order to, to shore up confidence in First Republic, even at the time that they did that, people were saying, is this actually enough? Is it just going to kind of kick the can down the road? It appears that the latter is exactly what it did. Yeah, it did. And Gerard, again, I'm glad you think this is probably the end of this sort of mini crisis as well. You got a few more West Coast banks. The stocks have been really beaten up. Is there anybody, and I hate to be some, dancing on the graveyard here, uh, is there anybody who's going to win from this? I mean, that money's going to go somewhere. Brian, it, you, you are absolutely right. There will be a winner if this bank was to go through the receivership process that the FDIC has used in the past. What we saw most recently with New York Community Bank, as well as um, Citizens First, their stocks went up very dramatically when they bought both the failure of Silicon Valley and Signature Bank. If you go back in history, Brian, and go back to 08, 09, when the banks were failing back then, the buyers get very good deals from the FDIC. And should this uh, happen again, whoever the buyer is, if, they, if, if again, if we go this path, they're going to get a very good deal from the FDIC. Yeah, Kate, now I will ask you to editorialize here a little bit, which is, uh, if Gerard's right, this is the end of sort of the, the banking stock issue. Is there a more right, macro... You got to get me in trouble, right, a, Brian? You got to get me to opine. Um, <laughs> is there just, a more macroeconomic angle here, is my point. Is, you know, is it going to be harder to get a car loan, a mortgage loan, a small business loan, because all the banks that are fine, they're watching what's going on, like, you know what? Maybe that 610 credit borrower, 
not for us. Right. I mean, I think you're already seeing uh, it becoming more difficult for a lot of people to get access to credit simply because of interest rates. Whether it'll have that impact, I'm not sure. Um, I do think that one narrative here that we're seeing unfold, we've been seeing unfold for the last month or so, is that the bigger banks are well positioned and probably benefit from this because it points up their strength, the thing that Jamie Dimon always refers to as our fortress balance sheet. Um, there's there's risk management in place there that uh, makes the market and consumers feel more comfortable. They're in a position to be doing the bailing out. And while this could end up being mm -hmm. an isolated set of events, relatively contained, um, the precedent of it can't feel good for other community banks and other smaller banks. And as all of us know, this kind of situation is a confidence game. And to the extent that confidence starts to slip away, that's harmful to the entire sector and the entire market. You know, Leslie, I'm going to do some rough math here to carry the two divide by six. I, I think <laughs> the banks the banks that have gone down, the deposit base has to be north of $500 billion. I mean, I understand it's only four mm -hmm. banks, but let's not pretend this is some small thing. Right, and, and it's going somewhere. And I do kind of wonder as well the signal uh, that it's sending that the banks at least reportedly opted not to do some sort of private market solutions and sort of deal here, buying assets, et cetera. All of the various things that First Republic tried, uh, investors and the larger banks balked at those ideas. As far as we know, um, of course, there could be an 11th hour solution. Shouldn't, you know, forget about that. But in terms of the reporting that an FDIC receivership is imminent, uh, that would suggest that the big banks decided not to participate in this, whereas they had previously. So does that suggest, and maybe this is a question for Gerard, does that suggest that they don't think that having this firm fail would be a systemic risk to the broader ecosystem, to the broader macroeconomic picture? Well, we'll get Gerard back on to talk about it. Kate and Leslie. Hey, Leslie, welcome back. Good to see you back. Thank you. All right. So who could have seen this demise coming? Well, it appears First Republic's own insiders because if you tuned into this show, Last Call, on March 13th, more than a month ago, we told you about all that insider selling. Executives at First Republic Bank, whose shares have obliterated shareholders the last few years or last few weeks, have sold more than 10 million in stock since January 1st. $10 million sold by just a couple of insiders, according to our friends at Verity Platforms. All right, that is one reason, not the only one, but one reason that we had been vocally nervous about First Republic even after the big, quote, bailout. If you follow my tweets, you could see a few on it, in part because remember the psychology around banks and nervousness around investors and depositors can be a very powerful force. By the way, we're all rooting for First Republic employees here as well. 99% of them had nothing to do with this, and we hope they will be able to keep their jobs. All right, in the meantime, here's what happened to your money today and really this week. The Dow, the S&P, and the NASDAQ end of the week on a high note. The Dow, S&P, and NASDAQ all higher. Let's look at the numbers for the week, by the way, for the week. Again, not bad. The NASDAQ up more than 1%. All right, in the S&P 500, the biggest moneymaker of the week, no playing around, Hasbro. Stock up 14.5% and the biggest loser. And by the way, we talked about it being downgraded on Monday. Is first solar down 15.8%. I thought solar was supposed to be the big thing. A lot of problems there lately. All right, we are just getting started on this busy Friday. And up next, the new basketball rights deal, sending shockwaves across sports and media. Plus, it is Deep Fake Friday. Again, 
at least one, maybe more, of the people on your screen right now are not real. Some of the photos are real, some are not. Can you spot the difference? We're going to try and show you a technology that can do it. Stick around. Oh, welcome back. Arizona's professional basketball teams are cutting the cord. Today, the Phoenix Suns and Mercury struck a new distribution deal with Gray TV and video streamer Kiss Wee. Starting next season, all their local regular season games, the Suns and the Mercury, will be on over-the-air broadcast channels as well as streaming. This is a bigger deal than it sounds. They're one of the first pro sports teams to walk away from cable television, a business that, dare we say, and we hate to say, has been struggling as of late. You see, the Suns games were previously available on Bally Sports Arizona. That is one of the regional sports networks on cable owned by Diamond Sports Group. They are America's largest owner of regional sports networks. Last month, they filed for bankruptcy after missing a $140 million interest payment. Still, Diamond Sports is not going away quietly. In a statement, the company spokesperson said in part, quote, the Phoenix Suns breached our contract and violated bankruptcy law, and Diamond Sports Group will pursue all remedies against the parties that attempt to exercise control over our property interest while we reorganize. For reaction, let's bring in Gray TV president and co-CEO, Pat LaPlatney. Pat, good to have you on. Thanks for joining us. Um, tell, our audience, for and, and tell our audience, you know, the business of TV, we're in it. Most people aren't. It's kind of a weird business. Why does this matter? What, what does it change? Uh, so having local sports um, on TV stations changes everything. You know, what people watch primarily on local, tele on local television stations are news and local sports. So having, having both of those top-level properties is, is a game-changer for the industry. So I have questions. Let's say I live in Phoenix or I live in Tucson or whatever, and I've got Comcast or I've got, you know, AT, whatever the cable thing is that I've got. Will I still be able to watch the sun? How will I be able to watch the Suns and Mercury next year under this new deal? Yeah, so you'll be able to watch them, you know, on your local cable operator uh, or satellite uh, provider. You'll be able to watch them over the air in the entire state of Arizona, every one of them. You'll be able to uh, stream them if you don't have a if you don't have a, a satellite dish or if you don't have a an antenna over the air antenna. You'll be able to stream the games. So they're literally available to virtually every person in Arizona, which is a big change. Well, Diamond Sports says, and you heard my statement that they've got the ability mm -hmm. to match the lowest offer, and that you're basically breaking breaching the contract, and they're not going quietly into this good night. Yeah, look, uh, I, I think that's between the Suns and Diamond. That really doesn't involve us. So uh, I'm not going to comment on that. Okay, so Matt Ishbia, who's the owner of the Suns, new, new owner, very young guy, <laughs> super successful. Yes. He gave an interview at The Hollywood Reporter, and he said it's a, quote, game changer. It's going to triple the availability. You, you, you probably are aware, Pat, that, that customers are probably always – a little hesitant to think this is a good deal for me because they always end up paying more. Is this a good deal for Phoenix Suns TV fans? Oh my God, yes. I mean, and, and you know, it illustrates. So we made the announcement this morning, and we uh, we probably had 300 comments on our Facebook page for the local TV stations in Phoenix. And let me just let me read a couple. It'll take about 15 seconds. So we, for, this is from a, a fellow named Edlin David Bain. 
His comment was, yay. Here on the Navajo Nation, there were no options to watch our sons in Mercury. If it was broadcast on other channels, it would be blacked out. We love our sons in Mercury. Thank you. You know, it's a great example of the power of local television and broad distribution. I mean, there are going to be a lot more Suns and Mercury fans on the on the Navajo Nation. And that's a huge deal. And I'm sure Matt would be Matt is thrilled to hear about that. So if I'm so, it, it, it's, so, I, so it's available literally to everybody. I texted another basketball team owner uh, with the deal. Uh, and I wonder if you're a sports owner, baseball, basketball, football. Are you looking at this as some kind of a, a new model? Are we going to start to see other teams start to do this? I believe you will. I can't sit here and tell you, you know, I know of any other deals that are out there right now, but I believe you will. You know, if you go back to the, the 80s and 90s, actually 70s, 80s and 90s, these games were on local television, on a local, you know, on not just in, you know, the, the home markets, but on big networks. Mm -hmm. And so this in some ways is going back to the future here. And, and, you know, we're, we're adding streaming into, uh, you know, to the mix to make sure it's available to everyone. So this is, you know, this really isn't, you know, the, the, the RSNs are a relatively recent phenomenon. They just, you know, they came into existence late nineties, early two thousands. So this is, again, this is not unprecedented in any way, but it's, again, it's all about the distribution. Well, listen, selfish. I'm, I'm one of 39 San Diego Chargers fans out there, by the way. <laughs> Don't laugh. The Bolts. You laugh because of her. Go they, Bolts, by the they way. They had a great season. Yeah, they, yeah but I, I'd like to be able to watch it. At least now the, the, the Google deal is maybe helping, but I'm, I'm wondering if this deal will change that. I'm selfishly asking for myself. Go Bolts. Uh, Pat, it's a real pleasure to get you on. Thank you very much. Yeah. Nice wrap. All right. Congrats, by the way. Up next, it is Deep Fake Friday again. The people scrolling across your screen, I think about half are real, half are AI deep fakes. I'm gonna have to try to spot the fakes and be humiliated on my own show on live TV. Next. All right, time now for everybody's favorite segment of the week. When I say everybody's favorite, we did it once before. It's called Deep Fake Friday. If you tuned in last week, you saw me interview Faux Brian, an AI-generated version of myself. Well, tonight, we're going to play a game called Spot the Deep Fake. Look at that. You got Verbal, Kent, Fenster. Oh, anyway, here's how the game works. Those are six images of people. Our job is to spot two of the deep, I think there's only two deep fakes. We're going to find out. Let's bring in Ben Coleman. He is the co-founder and CEO of Reality Defender. That is a company that developed a platform that detects deep fakes. Ben, good to have you on. Um, so, what do we do? How does the game work? What have you? And I don't know anything about this. Yeah, and it's what, to be what, hard what, by what twisted mental game are you going to play with me today? The challenge is the fakes look real and even more real than the real ones. So, we're going to ask you. Is that a hint? It's not a hint. No tricks here. Let us know which ones you think are real and which ones you think are fake. We'll let you know if you're correct. And your software could do this automatically? Our software is in real time using software, no humans. So we do it in milliseconds. We can scan thousands, millions of images, video, and audio. Let's play the game. Let's do it. All right, so I want our viewers at home to play too. We got one, two, three, four, five, six. How many, can you at least tell me how many of these are fake or no? Or, well, how many do you think are fake? I don't know. Two? Two. Okay. 
Um, three looks fake to me, or, or the dude just got way too good a skin. Um, well, you can fake the hair, you can fake the skin, you can fake the way the head's looking. So why don't you take a kind of broader look at them and let me know what you think looks fake on all of them. I don't know, they all look, uh, three and one. You got one of them, right? It was one? One was fake. Wait, what? one is fake? Yeah, and six. And it speaks to the challenge that average people and also experts I like stink. us, we just can't 50 tell the I got one out of two. Okay, so uh, uh, how does, and we got another round of this, by the way, I can redeem myself, America. Can you tell us a little bit without giving away like trade secrets, how does your software spot the fakes? What are you looking for? Yeah, there's over 100,000 known models that can create deep fakes. So we're trying to identify not only known models, known signatures, but also unknown models. You might have seen the picture of the, the Pope in the puffer vest. Yeah. That was fake. Now the hands did not look that real. So we look for things that are also hard to fake. We create those ourselves, and then we detect them. All right, so here we're gonna play another round. Here we go, I got one out of two. That wasn't bad though. I mean, no, one out of six. is great. Uh, well, there was six, so the odds were a little better than that. All right, so we got, let's, let's show the audience. One, two, three, four, five, six. And again, two of these are fake? That's right. And just remember, everything you see could be faked, part of them or all of them. Okay. Uh, now you're all in my head. It's, I'm going to, you know what? Uh, six has got a reflection. I'm going to go with six. No, no, hold on. Door number three. Wait a minute. Uh, the showcase showdown. I'm going to go with five and two. You got one of them again. Come on. Do you want to try again? Oh, they showed them. It was two. I, I was sure you were going to say, if I got one right, it was going to be five. I actually was going to do four. And I'll tell you why. In six, zoom in on six if we can. You can see that there's like a little reflection in his... That doesn't help. Bring that back up. There was a little reflection in his glasses. There we go. But remember, all of that can be faked. All right, so I did... I mean, out of six, I got, I got one... Out of each. Um, we talk about AI a lot. It feels like AI has kind of come out of nowhere. How much demand is there for what you do? How concerned should we be? There was an article I read today about somebody who said they created a deep fake version of themselves which fooled their own family right. and, and a bank. Right. Now our clients include governments and large banks, things like geopolitical fraud, trying to create a commotion or try and influence an election. And with banks, it's as simple as identity fraud and wire transfer fraud. Six seconds of your voice can create a perfect fake voice match. So my bank uses a voice thing. Like I, I read they a do. statement. Please and then call it, us, yes. Yeah, and that's, but no, but it says like your security code is actually a part of my voice. So right. Somebody could fake that. I mean, AI, we faked it. Yeah. My, my producer, Max, is probably raiding my bank account right now. Hopefully not him, but there's a lot of bad actors who can do it programmatically at massive scale. And humans just cannot tell the difference between real and fake, which is why we think about this as software, scanning yeah. everything all the time. Well, half the time I can tell. By the way, purely lucky guesses. Ben, it's really fascinating stuff and a lot of fun, and good luck. Let us Thank know how it goes. And, and by the way, protect humanity. Thank you, Brian. Thanks. All right, still ahead. Just when you thought the meme stock madness was over, a random online brokerage company stock is up 1,600% this week. That's all. With SEC Chair Gary Gensler's head wrapped up in crypto, is his focus in all the wrong places.
All right, welcome back. Let's hit the last call watch list, and this one's a bit of a doozy. There's once a, a once microcap China-based stock that has made an insane rally on the NASDAQ. You might not know it, but you've definitely seen it on our ticker because, drum roll please, top financial group is up year-to-date 2,117%. You heard that right, 2,117. Most of that came this week with an insane gain of 1,600%. So who or what the heck is Top Financial? We asked the same question. Well, Top is a little-known Hong Kong-based brokerage firm that only went public last June. It's now become a favorite of the Reddit meme stock crowd, which is fine. Do what you want. Take your risk. But given this move and the fact that it is based offshore, shouldn't the SEC be sniffing around this maybe a little bit more? We did ask them. And we are waiting to hear back, still waiting. But with the agency's particularly aggressive, perhaps almost obsessive focus on crypto, is it taking its eye off the ball on good old-fashioned stock trades? For more, let's bring in New York Post, Lydia Moynihan, and our friend Empire Financial Senior Editor and CBC contributor, Herb Greenberg. If a little-known Hong Kong-based stock, Herb, goes up 1,600% in a week, do you think somebody at the SEC should be like, Hmm. What's this? Well, uh, obviously, Brian, they should do more than just say, what's this? Uh, But this, I think, is a little more uh, difficult to sort of police than um, your typical stock um, rig, so to speak, because it's like all of the other meme stocks. But I would take it in another direction. And I would say it's not just the SEC. The real question is, because I view this sort of as Chinese reverse mergers, 2.0. And even though this is in Hong Kong, it's not the only Hong Kong stock this week to do the same thing or, you know, in recent in recent very recent memory. I would argue it's the exchanges. I would argue it's the Nasdaq. I would argue it gets down to why are they listing some of these companies? Because this is the same issue we had going back to the Chinese reverse mergers. And we've had with some of these companies where you say, why do you list them? So should the SEC be doing something if there's something they can do? Obviously. But I come back to where did these companies come from? I mean, this is a company with, what, the last time it had to report because it filed 6Ks, it reported it had $5 million in revenue. And that was as of September of last year for this, you know, for the six month period. So, you know, there are a lot of issues to be raised, but here we are back yeah, again. I in know. There's many moments. You know, and again, the stock went up 440% today, Lydia. It's down 41% right now. Listen, if people want to gamble, and, and this is gambling, not, not trading or investing, Go ahead. And I don't want to pick on China, but I remember a couple years ago, this this unknown Chinese company made like a $12 billion offer. I think it was for Marriott or something like this. I don't know if you remember that. And I did a quick Google search of their headquarters based on their website. And it was above an auto parts shop. Literally, you could see it on Google Maps. It was like some guy above a garage making a $12 billion offer to buy. I think it was Marriott. What do we make of these these days, these kind of trades? Hopefully the the retail Reddit community is doing as much research as you are, Brian, because oftentimes you can get a lot of information from a quick Google search. I mean, I think it's ironic that the way the SEC and Gensler have really targeted crypto because they've talked about how he specifically has said that cryptocurrencies are poker chips. He's talked about how the entire digital asset space is basically the Wild West in a casino. And then you have clearly a lot more gambling and a lot more betting going on in the stock market. But 
just because there's a lot of volatility, just because you have these stocks that are seemingly untethered to any economic reality, doesn't necessarily mean that it's a problem. I mean, I think speculation is inherent in the stock market, and that's what all of these meme stocks are. They are speculation. People know what they're getting involved in when they start placing bets on these stocks. I would hope that the SEC is keeping an eye on it, but I don't think that you can mitigate risk or volatility. And um, you know, I, I would hope again that the SEC can both walk and chew gum at the same time, where they can be keeping their eye on more than one issue in the the marketplace. The, you, Herbert, you probably read about on CNBC that deli in New Paulsboro, New Jersey, or New Jersey. Remember that the hometown deli? Right, of course. So actually, yeah, right. actually, by the way, I went there. I went to the deli one day. I drove of down. At, the sandwich was, of course, why not? The sandwich was fantastic. $15,000 in annual revenue, and the stock had a value of $125 million. It's all shut down now. I think there's a guy in jail in Bangkok. But here's the point. That stock traded for years, Herb. It was literally the only business was a deli. Again, good sandwich, not worth $125 million. It just feels like the SEC, maybe it's a staffing issue? I don't know if it's a staffing issue or it's just one of those things. I think Lydia made a great point when she said, that it's a situation where there's a ton of speculation. I don't look, I don't think it's right. I wish you could stop it, but that that ship sailed in terms of speculation. And we've always had, look, we've always had the old boiler rooms. This is like boiler rooms on steroids. You know, we've always had these kind of situations. Back before we had Reddit, we had the stock message boards and we had people playing that game forever. And no one's ever been able to quite get yeah. to the bottom of it. Because it's it's very difficult to do, in my yeah, estimation. Fair enough. But, Lydia, it does feel like the SEC chair, Gary Gensler, is just, like, so obsessed with crypto. I, I would tend to agree. And yet I think the irony here, too, is that despite his obsession, it doesn't seem like he's really been able to actually lay out a clear framework. I mean, some of the things that he's targeting, he's gone after Coinbase, they've gotten Wells notices, they're clearly in the crosshairs, and yet you hear them talk. Brian Armstrong posted a lengthy video today basically saying, we just want clear regulation. We want a clear framework for what we're supposed to be doing. And so it's odd that it seems like Gensler is making all these media appearances. We've heard from folks at the SEC, they feel he's very concerned about his own personal brand. So it seems like he's talking a big game, but he hasn't actually implemented anything. And you can't have it both ways. You can't say, oh, I'm going to aggressively go after Coinbase and yet still not have a clear regulatory yeah. framework. Yeah, that's it. Well said. And uh, but by the way, folks, top, maybe you're going to make a lot of money. Maybe, maybe you won't. Just be careful out there. These companies can come and go. Herb and Lydia, thank you. we got to let you go. Bottom to top. Yeah. That's it. Speaking of going, it's an apt name. that's it. We'll see. I, I see what you did there, Lydia. I, and I, as a dad, I kind of, it was a dad joke, even though you're, yeah, it's, you're not a dad. I, I thought you would appreciate that. I, I do. I do. It's, it's, a, it's a sign of my, my bad humor. Thank you, Lydia and her. Appreciate it. All right. By the way, speaking of going, we're going West. We're going to get on an airplane. And on Monday and Tuesday, we are coming to you live from LA, the Milken Global Conference, one of the most amazing conferences in the world. Bringing people together from all kinds of different industries got politics, finance, healthcare, philanthropy, and we got, a, I think, some pretty amazing guests lined up to join us on Monday and Tuesday. Here's Monday. We got the CIOs of both the Texas and California State Teachers Retirement Systems. That's about five to six hundred billion right there. Big thinker, Neil Ferguson, he's always got big takes on big takes. The Washington Commanders president, they just got sold, Jason Wright. What's going to happen with that team? And Congresswoman 
Maxine Waters, as well as no doubt some other potentially fun surprises Tuesday and Monday. Milken, tune in. Coming up. It was laughed off by many of you a few months ago, but now a gas stove ban is about to come for new buildings in one major state. Could yours be next? Don't go away. Welcome back, everybody. Hope you had a great Friday. Gas-powered stoves, beware. New York State is gearing up to ban the use of natural gas, including stoves, in new buildings. New York Governor Kathy Hochul announced a state budget deal had been reached yesterday, which will include the ban. Again, not a law, it's in the budget. State lawmakers are expected to vote on it next week. If passed, the ban would take effect in 2025 for small buildings and in 2028 for larger Buildings. There will be some exemptions for buildings like hospitals, but it would be the country's first statewide ban of natural gas and new construction. Let's talk about both sides of the issue. Joining us are New York State Senators Thomas O'Mara, who opposes the ban, and Jabari Brustport, who co-sponsored the legislation supporting the ban. Uh, thank you, gentlemen, both, and we'll, we'll keep it just smart and civil, and we appreciate you coming on. Um, State Senator Brustport, like, I, I re- I'm reading the studies about the, the risks but is there enough risk that should merit an outright ban on something a lot of people not only use, but like? Well, as a reminder, no one is coming to rip the gas stove out of your home currently. This is uh, mandating that all newly constructed buildings are all electric uh, for heat and hot water. And to be honest, there was a pilot program in New York City where people switched from gas stoves to induction stoves, and everyone liked it so much that nobody wanted their old gas stove back, and it improved air quality in their homes. I I, I have to say, I guess I'm a weirdo (laughs) because... I actually switched from gas to induction, and I, I wish I could go back. But, but, th- but that said, is it worth it to have sort of the, um, the force in this, State Senator? I think it's really important that we meet our climate goals as we uh, look to reduce emissions and stave off uh, the cataclysm that climate change is bringing. And if we can do so in a way that improves air quality and also decreases energy costs for consumers, I think it's a win. How's it going to decrease energy costs? Uh, Heat pumps have been shown to decrease energy costs for consumers. Heat pumps are expensive. Uh, the usage, and yeah. there have been studies showing that over time they they decrease pumps. Uh, excuse me, decrease uh, energy usage. You got you got to buy them up front. Uh, State Senator O'Mara, t- the other side of this again, we want healthy kids. I mean, especially in, in underprivileged and low income communities where they don't have ventilation, and this turns into nit- nitrogen dioxide. But again, it's just it just kind of feels probably to a lot of people like just the government kind of just stepping in where they shouldn't be. I don't know. Well, it's real overreach at this point, and. We're all for reducing uh, emissions um, as much as we can. New York State has been a leader uh, at this. Uh, you know, we account in New York State for only 0.4% of global emissions. If we get to zero, we're going to have no impact on our climate. You know, we've been trying to clean up uh, the energy, and the energy emissions uh, in New York State is the lowest per capita of any other state. That was in 2020. But the leadership in this state in 2021, shut down Indian Point nuclear facility, and our carbon dioxide emissions have have jumped up by like 35% 
since then. That's as, that's as poorly thought out uh, as this new buildings ban uh, that the governor has proposed in the budget. We've yet to see the language, so we don't know what the details are going to be. But I can tell you that uh, the New York's independent service system operator that controls the electrical grid in New York State says that we're going to need to triple our energy, renewable energy, uh, in 17 years, adding 83 gigawatts of renewable. Just to give that some perspective, uh, we've only produced 13 new gigawatt hours in the past 23 years in this state. Yeah. So we're just jumping way out of head, ahead of this. You know, we're leaders in New York State, and we should continue to be leaders in New York State. We should continue to make steps. And so why not listen to it? If, if, if the state Senator O'Mara, if the, if the gas stoves are dangerous, even went off, what's the harm? And just, you know, build a new building with an induction. I don't like the induction stoves, but they are easy to clean. Well, people don't like them. And it's not just stoves. It's your furnace. It's your hot water heater. Uh, right now, over 80 percent of heating uh, in New York State is done with natural gas or other fossil fuels. Uh, it's just not feasible. It's not going to yeah. be affordable. And most concerning, it's not going to be reliable to those people who are going to be in their homes depending on this when... I think, I think his audio patched out. We are, you know... State uh, we lost your audio for a second, State Senator O'Mara. I'm going to go back to State Senator Brisport on one issue, which I think you brought up, which is something I talk about all the time, which is electricity generation. And you are right. I mean, we take nuclear off, which is, by the way, zero emission, zero emission, always on and reliable. And we had the, the grid operator for New Jersey and Pennsylvania uh, state senators say, basically, we probably won't have enough electricity to keep the lights on periodically in about seven years. How can you help ensure that for New Yorkers, when they turn the lights or that heat pump on, that it works? Because it feels like we're Thelma and Louise in that car and there's an electricity cliff and I'm not sure anybody's hitting the brakes. Thank you, Brian. Um, and I think both you and my colleague, Senator O'Mara, both speak to the absolute failure of the uh, private sector to get us to where we need to be in renewable energy generation and transmission, which is why I'm proud to say New York is also on the cusp of passing a bill known as the Build Public Renewables Act, which will allow the state government to build, own and operate uh, public power, uh, clean energy, renewable energy um, publicly. So we'd have state ownership of the grid effectively, or at least some of the production capability. Is there any talk about adding new nuclear, State Senator O'Mara? Like, has anybody said, let's add a new power, nuclear power plant like France does, 96%, pretty much always on, zero emission? I uh, will be very supportive of pursuing new nu nuclear op, uh, you know, production. Yeah. Uh, there's been no discussion from the leadership uh, in Albany uh, to get there. And if we go to public renewables, as Senator Brisport would like to go, it's going to remove the incentive of the private sector uh, in New York State to do this. And, and how, without the private sector, we wouldn't have been at the lowest emissions of carbon dioxide in the country uh, under the policies that we've had. Uh, and this is going to flip things upside down with the public renewables, uh, as well as, you know, we're going to we're going to move our peak demand from mm -hmm. August when it's hot to February when it's freezing. So people are not just going to be hot and uncomfortable. Yeah. They're going to be freezing to death in their homes. Well, and seven, seven times more people die of cold than exposure to heat. Let's hope that's not the case. State Senator O'Mara, State Senator Brisport, thanks for it's late on a Friday. We appreciate you guys joining us. Great discussion. Civil, polite, intelligent and kind. Thank you.
All right, coming up, an oil tanker heading to Texas, seized by Iranian forces. Halima Croft joins us, and more of that dramatic video next. All right, some big news on the AI front. Again, we're talking about AI every day. OpenAI, the startup behind ChatGPT, just closed a massive new funding round. That, according to TechCrunch, that values the company at $27 to $29 billion. $300 billion raised is coming from top VC firms like Tiger Global, Sequoia, Andreessen Horowitz, Thrive, K2, TechCrunch's Peter Thiel's Founders Fund is also investing. This is separate from Microsoft's investment announced earlier this year, size of which was reported to be around $10 billion. Microsoft up more than 7% over the past week. Wow. OpenAI worth almost 30 billion bucks. All right, look at this. Some shocking footage from overseas. Yesterday, Iran seized a U.S.-bound oil tanker in international waters. That's the key. It's the latest in a string of hijackings. Some officials believe the move was triggered by a U.S. order that redirected a tanker of Iranian crude oil bound for China toward the U.S. Where could this go? Let's welcome in RBC Capital Markets, CBC contributor, Lima Croft. Lima, we see this from time to time. We do something, Iran follows up. We showed the video, helicopter, literally army guys getting down on that. This seems serious. I mean, I think it is. And I think that it reflects the fact that you've had the U.S. trying to redirect an Iranian ship because we have issues around, you know, Iranian crude exports are now at the highest level since 2019 as Iran continues to make significant progress on its nuclear program. So if the U.S. is going to step up enforcement of sanctions, you could really see more of these type of incidents. And I do think that we are in for potentially more unrest in this region in the weeks and months to come. This ship that's called the Advantage Suite, the one that was was boarded, it was on its way from Saudi Arabia to Texas, which means it and I think it was laden. I think it was full of fuel. So and they, they never go anywhere empty anyway. This means it was oil likely bound for the United States. I have a feeling the selection of ship was not an accident. No, absolutely not. And the ship that we tried to you know, redirect had Iranian crude bound for China. And so, again, I think the real question is going to be, if the United States is going to be serious about enforcing sanctions, again, as Iran continues to make progress on its nuclear program, are you going to see more incidents like this? Remember 2019, we had you know attacks on tankers, mm-hmm. attacks on pipelines. I mean, are we potentially going to see more of these incidents at the high seas? And again, I think a lot of people thought when you had the Saudi-Iran rapprochement that we were yeah. entering a more benign phase in the region. Again, as long as Iran continues to make its nuclear advances, I think we're in for more of this type of stories that we're seeing this week. Separately, kind of an under radar, but I think important move. I know he's your friend, Amos Hochstein. He's on. I've interviewed him. Yes. Yes. So he is he's the State Department envoy, but he just got a big promotion, I think, to working directly at the White House. That's the gentleman who basically is responsible for the SPR sales and refills. He goes and talks to Saudi. The Department of Energy does not do this. Jennifer Granholm does not do it. It is a most. What is this promotion telling you? I mean, he is the leading energy diplomat of the United States. And I think it's also important to recognize that he was the one who also really started talking about the need to get more gas into Europe early on, even before the Russian invasion of Ukraine. Almost as one of the few officials in this administration that has any background in the oil and gas industry. He had been at Tellurium before going into the administration. And so he is seen as bringing pragmatism to the White House energy policy. 
Yeah, and the guy that is the guy who is responsible for refilling the SPR. All right, Halima, really appreciate it. Thank you very much. All right, do you know what happened 20 years ago today? Apple made an announcement that would revolutionize, some would say ruin, the music industry. Let's go back in time to April 28, 2003. Apple launched the iTunes Store, 200,000 songs. That's it. Instead of buying entire albums, customers could purchase individual songs for 99 cents and fill up their iPod. Look at that. Remember that? It was a big hit. The first week, the iTunes Store sold more than a million songs, many of those to me. And nearly 10 years later, someone in Germany downloaded the 25th billionth 25th billionth song on iTunes. What was that song? It was a club remix of a tune called Monkey Drums. Never heard of it either, but I'm, I'll check it out on the ride home. Anyway, fast forward to the day, Apple has shifted away from iTunes. They launched Apple Music about eight years ago. You can stream everything. Everybody just streams everything now. Folks, that's it for us. Have a great weekend. If you're out there having a drink, Sonny, guys like Sonny who always make us happy at the club, thank you. We'll see you Monday from Los Angeles. Have a great weekend.